This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Nothing better to kick off our new week of shows than by saying a big old salute to the men and women serving in the armed forces who made this weekend another safe weekend OG at home party with the family. Do you think that they uh, were allowed to celebrate St. Patrick's Day last week and watch March Madness? Just sit around. They're just like, uh, yeah, I'm just going to call in sick today. Yeah, we're just going to put the ship in neutral. Just coast. Uh, for a second. Isn't that what you do in your pontoon boat out on the lake? <laughs> Jim, put the anchor down. Let's set up the tents out on yeah, the, the swimming platform. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, probably not, but oh, all right. because of them, you and I were able to. That's right. It's fantastic. On behalf of Navy Federal Credit Union and the team here at Stacking Benjamins, a big salute to our armed forces. Let's kick off another week of shows. Uh, hey, everyone. Just a reminder to tell Joe's mom she looks like she lost weight. Because I accidentally parked on the grass again. Hey guys, mics are hot. Quiet on the set. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and are you, or someone you know, buying a home? Well, today, we're calling in the experts from Bigger Pockets Money, Scott Trench and Mindy Jensen, to share where you should start, and maybe a few things you didn't consider. Plus, it's been a year since the big COVID stock market crash in 2020. What should we expect for 2021? We'll talk about this and big crypto news out of India during our headline segment. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Seth, who is preparing well for retirement and wants to know whether he should be devoting his $2,000 monthly savings to his mortgage or other investments. And I'm going to wow you with my computer chip-related trivia. And now... Two guys who could take a few lessons from our guests to finally get a basement of their own. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. I love how the guy works here rent-free like we do, and he's complaining. Got to stay on the down low, OG. It's like a rent-to-own deal, though, right? It's oh, yeah, go on. <laughs> Uh, a squat. I think this is squat to own. Oh, hey everybody! Welcome to Real Estate for the Win podcast. I'm Joe Salci. I average Joe money on Twitter and across the card table from me, the real estate shark himself, Mr. OG. I I, I, I was listening to the headline because I'm like, yes, I am about to buy another house. Uh, remember your first house? How many mistakes did you make? Uh, just I mean, one giant one buying it. I was just thinking I could just circle all of them. I just made all of them. It'd be good. God's not making any more land. You should buy the biggest house you can afford. Scott and Mindy know a ton more than we do about real estate. Of course, that whole Bigger Pockets team, if you're not familiar with them, phenomenal people at real estate. And of course, their Bigger Pockets Money podcast is a lot of fun. So we're going to have them coming down to the basement. But first, I always forget to say this too, OG, you can listen to us on your smart speaker. Did you know that? Uh, I did not know that. You just walk into the room, you know, you're making your coffee and you go play stacking Benjamins and bam, whichever smart speaker you have, it will play the stacking Benjamins podcast. It's all you got to do. I forget to say that every flipping week, but I also won't say this. 
if you've got the stacker, you also have a guide to today's show. So open it to page one, which is funny on its own because there only is one page. And let's get this started, class. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from The Verge. This is written by Addie Robertson. India in the news. Oh, gee, how often do we lead our show off or a week off talking about India? Well, we're going to do it today because India will reportedly introduce a bill to make owning cryptocurrency illegal. India is reportedly moving forward with sweeping ban on cryptocurrencies. According to Reuters, the country's legislature will introduce a bill that criminalizes trading, mining, issuing, transferring, or possessing cryptocurrency. The bill is likely to pass if it's introduced giving India some of the world's strictest digital currency laws. And the reason I bring this up isn't just this news about India. It's one of the tenets of cryptos that we've always heard has been freedom from government, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Freedom from Cutting quote, the man out. Absolutely. And you and I have insisted that while cryptos can be good, the man's going to find a way. The man is going to be involved and maybe not to this level, but the man's going to be there, OG. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a major issue. If you're thinking about from an area of the world that would really benefit from decentralized banking or or being able to transact business, uh, uh, I mean, a third, what is it, a seventh of the world's population is in India, something like that, a billion people. And and, um, just that whole Southeast Asia Middle East was very underbanked generally, China included there too. And so what this is meant to serve, I think if you think about it from the perspective of like the good stuff of it, is to help people like that be able to transact business and to take away that is really tough. Uh, Obviously, the reason for it, uh, why I should suspect anyway, is because of the propensity for it to be used for legal stuff, but you can use your regular bank account for illegal stuff too, so I don't... The in-progress proposal follows a years-long fight between cryptocurrency traders and the Indian government. India's central bank cracked down on Bitcoin in 2018, banning banks from dealing in virtual currencies. Its Supreme Court overturned that in 2020, but it didn't necessarily preclude passing and passing a new, even stricter law like what's on the table now. The piece ends with, it is fascinating to me when you talk about how this allows people in Asian countries, in African countries to work internationally. But what's amazing is we've had guests on the show that when it comes to banking apps, because there is no legacy banking system like we have in the US, like there are places in Africa where the banking system, at least like between you and me standing on a street corner, it goes way faster. Like the apps, the Venmo process that took forever to get here was in place in Kenya way before it was in place here. Yeah, and this is just another evolution of it. So I wonder if this goes the same way, if all of a sudden the uh, Supreme Court gets involved and then they strike it down, or if this is kind of the first shoe to drop of it just going away completely. What's to prevent the folks in the U.S. from getting rid of it or EU? Right. Well, and I think, or at least getting even heavier involved, having more regulation I think that uh, the difference, though, when we look at some of these banking systems that exist around the world and crypto is that these banking systems, OG, ostensibly don't uh, threaten the fiat currency. You're still dealing in whatever the currency of the area is if you're using a transaction app to just speed up the process and forego the banks. But when you're dealing with a currency that completely cuts out the government, Yeah, the government's going to have a say about that. Mom might get mad. That happened in the basement. Mom would make sure that she got involved. Well, it's time, OG. Time for our Monday TikTok Minute. OG and I get all of our best tips from TikTok. I mean, where else are you going to get things done besides on TikTok? When I want true advice, I just, especially when it comes to cryptos, I don't read places like Reuters or The Verge. I go right to this dude. I found out what is causing the Bitcoin price to fall. 
In the past, F2 pool has been exposed for manipulating the Bitcoin price, but the whales have a new, smarter strategy. This is the Bitfinex Ethereum inflow chart. Because the whales have been exposed for dumping Bitcoin, they are using this new strategy. The strategy is to flow in Ethereum to convert it to Bitcoin to then dump the Bitcoin. The whales might be able to dump Bitcoin a little bit, but they're not strong enough. That is why Bitcoin continues to go up and it will continue to go up. What do you guys think about this? Leave a comment, hit the plus for daily crypto videos and more. Hit the plus for daily crypto videos to find out what the whales are doing. Did, did you know what the whales were doing? <laughs> Is that what they're doing? I thought that was what they were doing. It wasn't it that one guy that figured it out. I saw this documentary recently on whales. This guy has dedicated his life to telling you what the whales are saying. Wow. I don't know how you'd argue with him when he turns in his report. And he just throws it down there. Well, here's what the whales are saying. Okay, thanks, Charlie. Just looking back. Here's what the whales are saying. Yeah, Charlie figured it out. I don't think Charlie figured out. I thought that the, the guy on, uh, on TikTok figured out what the whales were doing. I don't know if you know this. It's a big conspiracy that, uh, that Bitcoin's being manipulated. And that is why they can't stop it. OG, Bitcoin's going to continue to go up. So put all your money in it. I will. Thank you. There is a book that I like a lot. Uh, your mileage may vary. It's called Trading Rules. And this guy who works at the Mercantile Exchange or worked at the Mercantile Exchange in Chicago wrote the book. And so this guy, OG, is trading commodities. And you know, one of his first rules is accept that you don't know anything. Don't lose money. Oh. That no one, he's, well, he's in, these, he's in these pits where you lose money hand over fist, right? I mean, taking stuff that 99.9% .9 of our audience would never do. And is one of his top rules is just, you don't know anything. When a video guy, even if he's on TikTok, and I know big platform, hard to make a TikTok video. I think it's probably better to accept that you just don't know why the stuff moves. And moving along to our second headline, it's been a year since uh, we had the big old downhill on the roller coaster, OG. Remember the big old downhill? Uh, I do. Yep. The downhill. I'm tired of them. Downhill that was going to end all downhills. We were, we were going down and this time it was for good. This was going to be the last one. And then it didn't happen. This comes to us from CNN Business written by Hannah Ziotti. It's been a year since market crash. So guess what Hannah's going to do? Hannah's going to ask, is another reckoning around the corner? And the answer is, uh, yeah, probably. Of course. Yes. All of them. The market will go down. Hannah writes, it's been nearly a year since the coronavirus pandemic ended the S&P 500's longest ever bull run, sent stocks everywhere into a violent nosedive. Violent. The turmoil was a fitting start to a year of frenzied activity. The virus continues to wreak havoc on our daily lives, but markets have long since forgotten the painful reckoning. The Big Bang, March 12th, 2020, handed Wall Street's worst day of losses in over three decades. The SP 500, the Dow, the NASDAQ suffered double digit declines with a pan European stock 600 index logging its worst day on record. Peace goes on a few paragraphs later. It's been a wild ride since. The crash was short lived. Financial markets fueled by government stimulus powered through a devastating global downturn. Okay, we, we, we were there. We lived through this. Devastating. Dun, dun, dun. But here's what's interesting about 2021, OG. Goldman Sachs predicts 7% U.S. GDP growth, a level not seen since 1984. Well, yeah, because it was started, started in the toilet. It's like easy to have like year-over-year -year growth. It was really sucky last quarter. It's like, it's like saying like, hey, I think that airplane passenger manifests are going to be up a million percent since last April. It's like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. You're gonna wow. have, you're gonna have corporate earnings across the board are gonna be positive all year long. Uh, yeah, I know the pent up demand. Speaking of travel, I mean, not even that. I'm just saying year over year compared to like I know you I, could have seven yes. people on a Carnival cruise ship and they'll be like, we have 700 percent more people. <laughs> like, like it could be the captain, <laughs> like two cooks and a and the guy who like pedals the boat or whatever you know rows the boat underneath the thing. You know, one 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 passenger. So. 
I would say be careful with the percentages this year. I think the CFOs around the world are going home to their spouses and going, uh, I've got some job security this year because <laughs> all the numbers are going to look fantastic all year long. Well, that's what they were supposed to do last year is just crater them. I mean, if you were smart, that's what you did. Yeah. You took all those charges and all that sort of stuff and just kind of built it up and said, oh, yeah, 2020. Let's take it so now. 2021 and 2022 look amazing. Yeah. But I think betting on a great year or betting on a horrible year, this time last year proved once again, going back to Mr. TikTok, that we don't know, OG. I think if you give that up and you say that you don't know, you're far better off. Mm -hmm. I agree. Stick to the plan. Yeah, the piece goes into the fact that the European Central Bank could have a new problem. Of course, you've got volatility in bond markets. It just goes on and on, and I'll link to it in our show notes, or if you're following along with the guide stackers, there's a lot to a lot to unpack before you decide, you know, my gut tells me this thing's going up or going down or sideways, whatever, whatever that may be. What I do know was that last year was a year of uncertainty though, OG. And before we get to our takeaways, let's talk about how important it is to build your financial confidence back up. Navy Federal Credit Union is dedicated to helping their members regain financial stability through savings and you know that whether it's a deployment, your EAS day, or retirement, that life in the military or after comes with all sorts of financial challenges. One of the best ways you can get back on track is to develop good savings habits. And you can learn some great savings tools and tips from Navy Federal's Savings Learning Center. Whether you're saving for college, retirement, a rainy day fund, long-term goals, they can help you start planning. I went there pretty amazing tool. They ask you three simple questions, OG, and then they target all the things that are just in time learning for you. Like the things that you really need to know based on your goals right now. Don't get me wrong. You can look at whatever. You, there's a ton of stuff there, Yeah, but whatever you're dealing with right now, it is right there. Navy Federal also offers free savings accounts for your every need. So if you want to save with a credit union that helps you build financial confidence, find out more at NavyFederal.org. I think our takeaways are a couple. Only Charlie knows what the whales are doing, not some TikTok guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then uh, cryptos. I think the dream that uh, governments aren't going to be involved continues to erode away, OG. Well, I'm very pleased to say that our next guests are longtime friends of mine. Scott Trench is the CEO of this little company online called Bigger Pockets. Never heard of it. Our friend Josh Dorkin created that alongside another a good friend, Brandon Turner. Scott now, though, in the driver's seat, he also, though, is co-host of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I don't know who's known more for dad jokes, Scott or me. But Scott makes it difficult uh, for me to assume my rightful throne. <laughs> OG, Mindy Jensen and her husband, Carl, they've been buying and selling houses for more than 20 years. Uh, she also online is known as Mrs. 1500. He's Mr. 1500. Carl, by the way, her husband is going to be speaking at uh, the Economy Conference late this year in November. And I will be speaking there. And you and I, by the way, are going to be kicking off our live shows in Cincinnati. More of that to come. But we will see the... Maybe. Hopefully. I would love to be back out, back out in public. End of November. Hopefully. Scott and Mindy have a new book. One thing they're both phenomenal at is real estate. And they're here to help us, whether you're a brand new homeowner or maybe you've thought a little too conventionally about real estate. This book, even though it's ostensibly for first-time home buyers, I can't believe where they start. So let's get into it with them. Let's say hi to Scott Trench, Mindy Jensen. And I'm super excited to have the Bigger Pockets Money team with me. Two of my favorite people in the world. Mindy Jensen, Scott Trench, join us. How are you guys? I'm doing great. great. <laughs> All yeah, together. Thanks for having us, Joe. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks for writing a book, helping out our stackers 
that are buying their first house. And by the way, before we get into that, Mindy, I just saw online that you had just a gorgeous renovation of a house. Somebody in your community wanted to see like the change in, tell me about that process about making this <gasps> house beautiful. Uh, it took two weeks and I did it all myself. <laughs> the end. Uh, no, we, we did that over the course of like six years, five years. We lived in the house while we were renovating it. It is a, we popped the top, we added an addition. We took it from two bedrooms and one bath to four bedrooms and three baths. Uh, the, the, there isn't the a addition, wall in the house we didn't touch. The addition on the top, that change in the roof line was just absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it looks like a house that I would pass by on the street and not see to something that just has this curb appeal now. You know, that's funny you say that because people walk down that street to get to the dog path at the end of the street and they always stop in front of our house. It's like, I don't, I feel like I'm bragging, but it's like the most beautiful house on that street. And it's, it starts the separation between the rentals at the front of the street with the owner occupants at the back of the street. So it's like ugly, ugly, boring, boring. Oh my God. Amazing. Like it's a really beautiful house. And the, the front of it is really stunning. We put slate pillars around a wraparound porch and that's like all custom, like everything's custom uh, when you flip it. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work and now I'm onto the next one. And it's really impressive. It's just remarkable. Every part of it, the driveway, the landscaping, you know, that, that the little lifted yard you have, the front, the roof line, it's just the garage, everything's going to be completely redone. And it's just beautiful. Could you tell Joe how much uh, so I bought the house for 176000 We put about 100000 into it. We hired some out. We did a lot of the finishing. Our, we did most of the finishing ourselves. And we sold it a couple of weeks ago for $598,000. Bam. So, How much tax are you paying? Oh, um, I'm paying zero taxes because I'm a tax evader. Or I'm using Section 121 of the IRS tax code to pay $0 on that renovation because it was my primary residence. And I lived there for two of the last five years. I like the tax evader story better. Let's go with that. Yeah, one. I'm a tax evader. Yeah. Yeah. Come get me IRS. But seriously, and I don't want to set the bar high for people too much because we're talking about first time home buyer. And as you know, you guys have made mistakes before, but that's the culmination, Mindy, of a lot of lessons you've had. I, I would guess you and Carl beaten into you over the years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've made a slew of mistakes. We made mistakes on this house, too. We hired the wrong contractor. We bought a house without a home inspection. Um, oh. One thing they took out of the book, I wanted to have a whole chapter. Do I need a home inspection? Yes. And that's it. And that's just, the whole chapter. Just like one word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Taking up the whole page. It, a good rule of thumb is if you're asking if you need a home inspection, you need a home inspection. Yeah. And I didn't get a home inspection. All of the utilities were turned off. We walked through it and we're like, yeah, we're going to do everything to it anyway. So it's uh no big deal, but I should have had a home inspection, which would have prompted them to take me to the permit office to discover that the addition in the back of the house was unpermitted. Oh, hello. And yeah, yeah. I don't know if I would have bought it if I had known that it was unpermitted. My city is a very lenient with non-permitted work. You just have to bring it up to current code. Yeah. Or at least you did it five years ago. Not all cities are like that. Some cities will make you rip it out. It violated setbacks, so they grandfathered them in instead of making me rip it out. But it could have been a really big disaster. Could you imagine like a whole that? Other language. You're speaking a whole other language, Mindy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Well, just the whole idea of ripping that out. Can you imagine having to just go oh back in? And, oh, just. I would be heartbroken because that was like half of the house. And Scott, I don't remember. I, I'm 99% sure when you were on talking about set for life, that you talked about your first home buying experience, but I can't, I couldn't remember it while I was prepping for the life of me. Yeah. So I, my first home buying experience was a house hack duplex. So I bought a uh, $240,000 duplex, moved in, did not do anywhere near the remodel that Mindy did, but painted and stained cabinets and fixed some plumbing stuff, but rented that out. And I still own that property as a rental today. That was my first home buying experience. And, and it, today- And it worked, by the rent. way. It super worked. It definitely worked. Yes. Um, I bought that place for 240. It's probably worth upwards of 450 right now. We got it appraised and refinanced at like around 450 last October. I was able to pull out some cash and, and it's a great cash flow rental at this point. 
let's jump into your book because I was a little surprised by where the book starts because I thought that your second part of the book before you buy would be the start of the book. But but you guys really go into a bunch of stuff at the beginning that I think a lot of our homeowner friends, people that own houses now, don't know. And you begin with, is buying a house a good investment? You kick off the book with renting versus buying. Can we walk through that? Because we hear this all over the place, right? Sh- should I rent? Should I buy? Mortgage brokers will tell you renting is throwing money away. Scott, you believe that's true? Well, I think when you buy a house, what you forget is that you're going to pay closing costs on both the buy and sell side. And those closing costs are going to be 1% to 3% of the purchase price on the buy side and perhaps 7 or 8% on the sell side. So if you think, hey, between buying and selling this property, I'm going to spend 10% of the value on closing costs. If I've got a $300,000 home, that's thirty grand. So after I put down the down payment, I've got to do that. And I, I need to allow, yes, there's benefits of appreciation, loan amortization, those types of things. There can be some tax advantages, the interest payments, um, depending on where you live. Those costs and benefits result in, hey, if your timeline is very short, on average, renting is going to be less destructive to your wealth than buying a home. Notice I'm not going to say better or worse. It's yeah. it's going to be less expensive to rent over a three-year period than if you were to buy a home and then sell it three years later. Um, and you can avoid that, you know, and, and you can extend that timeline and say, hey, if I'm buying a house with an exit option where I'm going to keep it as a rental, the way I did with my first house hack, that allows me to you know, live in a place and exit, leave the property sooner. I don't you have to live there for five, six, seven years to reach that cutoff point, but you have to own the property for that long to allow those forces of appreciation and loan amortization on average to make the buying a better decision versus renting. My current situation, I'm actually renting because based on what I want to live in and where I want to do this, I did this math, took my own medicine and decided to rent in late 2020, um, even as we're working on this book on first time home buyer, because that was the right thing for me. I'm not going to live in where I want to live for that long and to buy the apartment complex that I live in. I have to drop a several million dollars, which was not feasible for me. So that was the uh, the onus of that d- discussion. Oh, come for on. Me. All that big podcasting money that, that you guys get. Yeah, I don't have a nice basement to live in like you do, Joe. So <laughs> zero, I, zero overhead, difficult. my friend. Zero yeah. overhead. Right? Uh, I see you remodeled, by the way. D- so d- she let you remodel, it looks like. Yeah, we just hang $100 bills on the wall. That's the way we roll. <laughs> when you're talking, I'm thinking about this stat that I just read from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, though, Scott, that the average person works for a company now for 4.2 years. I mean, and that's shortened. It was like 4.6 years just three or four years ago. If we're going to up and move, renting may be less money out of your pocket. That's right. And that's the exit options piece here, right? When most people buy a property, buy their first home, they have the buy and pray strategy where they buy the home, pray it goes up in value, and then assume that they're going to live in it forever. But that's right. Like you you could move, it could be, it's a perfect house for you in the rest of your life, but you got a great job in another city that outweighs all of that. And so I think that you can't overestimate the, I'm going to live in the property forever exit option. Your three exit options are live in the property for a long time, sell the property ideally at a profit, or three, keep the property as a rental after you move out. And I think people don't think through those three options. The more true, the more powerful, the more the better those three exit options, the more flexibility you're going to have in your life. And that's a key thing to think about, I think, when going into your first home purchase. I see for a lot of people, Mindy, they do what you did, where they live in a house and they fix it up, but then they don't. It sounds like you flipped it, sold it then, uh, but a lot of people hang on to it and do what Scott's talking about, where they rent it after they move. What was the criteria for deciding to sell it versus hold on? We actually were going to turn it into a rental. I work at Bigger Pockets. I believe in the whole own property for a long time strategy. But COVID happened last year. I don't know if you heard about this. uh, Is that a thing? Yeah. This small virus affected a couple of people. We were going to turn it into an Airbnb because in the summer you can like pay your mortgage for the year with your Airbnb rentals in my area because we're so close to Rocky Mountain National Park. Mm. COVID didn't allow us to do that. So we turned it into a long-term rental But then we just decided, you know what? The market is so hot right now, so hot. We're going to put it on the market. My husband, who is not a real estate agent, and I am, uh, said, we should list it for 580. I'm like, that seems high. I'm in the market. You know, I'm in all these houses and that just seems high. And he's like, I didn't say 580. I said 598. I'm like, oh, okay. So we put it on the market and we got a full price offer two days later. 
That's so, a three second appreciation. Yeah. The market is not normally like this, but that was absolutely the reason why we put it on the market. Take the money and run. Do you like that number though? I mean, you know, you guys talk to people all the time in real estate. Does it bother you that somebody immediately jumped on it full price offer? Like, do you walk away from that Mindy going, damn it, I should have gone 615. It appraised at 623. I asked if I could see the appraisal just because it was my house and I'm the agent and I look at these things all the time. And I'm just curious, you know, with the market, but when we listed our house, we were one of 11 houses on the market under $600,000. I had another house that I was listing at the same time. So I had, uh, what is that, like just under 20% of the listings on the market at that time. There yeah. was just nothing. So they jumped on it. They made a full price offer because if you don't make a full price offer, you're not getting the house. What I'm seeing now is even fewer houses on the market. So everything is over asking price. They're covering the appraisal gap now. They're offering that in their in their offers. And they're doing super fast closes. We're not going to do any inspection, et cetera. So I was very pleased with the offer. We closed and I'm happy. I loved that house, but I'm happy to be done with it too. I can take that money and put it someplace else. I mean, you can't have two houses in one city that you're using. You don't live in two different houses. Yeah. So it just, it made sense to sell at that time. Scott talked about the three exit strategies, Mindy, but this is, this is chapter two of your book. We haven't even talked about buying the house yet. And we're already talking about exit strategies. Why is exit strategy at the beginning of this process? Because you have to think about what you're going to do with it when you're done with it. You're not always done with it on your timeline. So if you buy this big, beautiful house for $598,000 and then in three weeks, your boss says, hey, I'm transferring you to South Dakota. What are you going to do? You're going to turn this into a rental. It didn't make sense as a long-term rental. That's another, I forgot about that. It's worth $600,000. I was renting it for $3,000. That's about what you can get. And that's, those aren't good numbers. So they would be at a loss if they tried to rent it out. Now they would have to sell it. They would sell it at a loss because with the closing costs and all of that. So having your mind on what can I do with it at the end helps you make a smarter decision in the beginning. Yeah. I'll answer that as well with the idea that the strategy of how you buy your home and the exit strategies that you you bring to mind, that's a potentially a six figure difference in your life over a handful of years. Getting a good deal is probably a ten to $25,000 decision. And yeah, we absolutely talk about that. That's the second section of the book. And then the ticky tack stuff, in, you know, it's, it's obviously more than ticky tack, it's thousands of dollars, but the stuff that comes up in the inspection and the objection piece and the negotiations once you're under contract, that's worth thousands of dollars on average. It can sometimes be more. And that's why that's the third part of the book. It's just in the order of the meaningfulness to the decision and to your wealth that, you know, we think that having a property that gives you those exit options can be worth, again, hundreds of thousands of dollars over just getting a deal, a property for 600 instead of 623 as Mindy's uh, buyer maybe got in that. And that's good, but it's not the whole story. I think it's not even the biggest piece of the story. Well, Mindy was talking, Scott, about appreciation, right? And so we look at market appreciation, what she's talking about, but you also have a section about forced appreciation. A lot of people haven't heard that term forced appreciation. What does that mean? Ooh, I forced appreciation and caught up on the tail end of the market swing at the same time. But if I had not done any rehab to that house, I might've been able to list it for high threes, low fours, like super low fours, a two bedroom, one bath in that neighborhood, maybe for 10. So forced appreciation is the updates that you did to the house, the renovation. Mm -hmm. And the renovations that I did, I said, I put in a hundred. That's probably a $200,000 retail upgrade. I just did most of the work with my husband. So, you know, when we lay tile, it costs us out of pocket just for the tile and the supplies, not the labor too. And there's the whole, you know, pay yourself, whatever. I just got a $300,000 paycheck. So I'm cool with that. Yeah. It's high value labor. What Mindy's doing with that. It's like another salary added on top of the, of your life. If you can, if you're willing to do major rehab or even minor parts of the rehab to add that value with forced appreciation. Well, well, and if you're buying your first house, you really don't know where the best place to spend money is. But if you're buying your first place, what are those spots that we should look for? Maybe look past, right? And go, you know what? The kitchen's not what I want it to be, but maybe upgrading the kitchen anyway is a great use of money. I don't know. What are the best places to go in and spend money on my new house? The kitchen is always the most bang for your buck. 
obviously anything outdated is going to help paint. Do you want to live in a lime green walled house? I mean, maybe you do, but most people don't. A gallon of paint is like $30 and it takes, you know, you could use one or two gallons and fix up a whole room. If you repaint the entire house, all of a sudden it's fresh. Paint the tile. I'm not, 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 uh, cut that part out. Paint the trim. <laughs> paint all the time. Paint the shag, paint the shag carpeting. Yes. Oh my goodness, Joe, I'm never living with you. Paint the trim. If it's a very dark wood colored, that's not really popular right now. I see Joe has white trim in his house. That's really popular. I don't have any trim right now. We ripped it all out because we're on to the next house. Replacing the outdated things like brass, the 90s brass. Some people think that's coming back in style. I don't. I would rather have silver or, you know, just looking around the house at the outdated things that you can replace. Flooring is so easy to install. LVP, luxury vinyl plank. It's two or three dollars a square foot. It goes in super easy. We use the LifeProof brand. We just replace all the flooring here and it just goes together like a dream. You can install hardwood floors, which I've done. It's super easy to do. And there are 12,000 YouTube videos on how to do absolutely anything. I don't recommend just watching one. Watch a bunch. You'll start to see either the same tips over and over again, or you realize the first one you chose is a just a horrible video, but you see and you learn and you do. And if you make a mistake, you can just redo. It's not that hard. It's not that devastating. I just want to chime in with this. And a reason this is so powerful is because of that tax advantage. Because if you live in a primary residence and you live in there for two of the last five years, you can sell the property at a tax-free capital gain. So this stuff that is not fun, right? What Mindy's talking about it is not like that's not how I like to spend my weekend, but it can be worth hundreds of dollars per hour to you and give you that exit option that we talked about that much sooner. You know, instead of waiting five, seven years on average, now you're waiting two years on average if you can put this in place. And I think that's another issue compounding Mindy's decision to a certain extent is probably those tax advantages because if you keep the properties a rental too long, you can't sell it and not claim any of those capital gains as taxes the way that you can as a owner occupant. You guys talk about a good deal and about getting a quote good deal, but you have a whole section about defining what a good deal is. Uh, Scott, what does a good deal look like? First of all, you have to be crystal clear about exactly what you want. That happens after I think you define how far you're willing to go in those exit strategies. I want a property that would work as a rental or that is in an area that is likely to appreciate that does have some work that is along the spectrum of doing nothing to what Mindy just did. And I'm going to, where am I going to live in that spectrum with my first home purchase? Okay, great. Now I want two beds two baths at, at the very least, or at least two toilets in the Denver area. These are three neighborhoods that I'm really interested in. On this side of that neighborhood, I'm willing to pay a little bit more. On that side, I'm going to put, pay a little bit less just because of the desirability of those locations. I want a two-car garage, a yard. You should be able to put down a paragraph or two, nothing crazy, that defines exactly what you and, and maybe your spouse want in that property. Then the next step is you look at all the properties that have sold on the market. We just talked about how hot the market is and how much competition there is. If you look at the properties that have sold and not the active listings, you're going to have a much better understanding of how the market is actually working. You might find that, hey, that property that I just described, six properties that meet that criteria have sold in the last 90 days, or let's call it 10 in the last 180 days that meet that description. Yeah. Now, I know that on average, one deal like that is going to sell every two and a half weeks. So in order to get that good deal, I have to not look at the active listings and get all you know, uh, upset and frustrated about how hot the market is. Uh, but I'm going to go fishing and I'm going to say, great, agent, set up a search for me so that every time a property that meets those criteria comes on the market, I can react and you know, drop what I'm doing. If it's 2.30 and the property comes in the market, I cancel my evening plans. I go look and I make an offer and then I go through the inspection process and those types of things. And I'm going to lose a few right in the, in the current state of the market. But I know that over a six month period, I'm likely to get one of those 10 deals that come through. And so I'm skipping a couple of other steps here, but that's the very yeah. high level, I think, and how to think about getting a good deal. No, I mean, it sounds just like with your other investment portfolio, your your equities, right? Having an investment policy statement that you work from, instead of swinging in the breeze with what's going on in the market, now you have your clear criteria of what I want for myself. And then no matter what happens in the market, I know I'm on much more firm footing. That makes 
total sense to me. There are mm-hmm. so many things in here, but I really want to make sure we started where you guys started because it's in such a different place than I see most people start. They start with find an agent or they start with see if what we're approved for, right? And see how much house we can get. You guys don't start there. You go into then being under contract, talking about after you close the home inspection to Mindy's point earlier, looking through listings. I mean, all of that stuff. The book is first time home buyer, the complete playbook to avoiding rookie mistakes available. I'm assuming everywhere, but maybe at a, Website called Bigger Pockets. The book is available starting tomorrow, uh, March 23rd, anywhere books are sold. Awesome. Mindy, Scott, so glad to hang out with you guys again. So much fun. Thanks for taking some time to talk. First time home buying with us. I appreciate it. We appreciate you, Joe. Thank you. If that sounds like you actually read the book and really liked it. So we appreciate it. <laughs> <It's> awesome. <laughs> of course. Joe, I always love coming down to visit you in the basement. Are you surprised I read the book? Is that a is that like a little well, I was just commenting that you, you you clearly read it. You you really quoted a lot of that stuff. So we, we appreciate it. Yeah, so check, check you, this out, dude. There's it was no, memorable. That, that makes me feel good. There's no <laughs> pictures in it either. And I read the whole yeah. <laughs> With friends like you, man. With friends like you. Thanks a lot, hey. guys. <laughs> Hey, stackers. I'm your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm sorry, but I had trouble focusing on Scott and Mindy because I still just can't get over the name Bigger Pockets. That do it for anybody else? I mean, when I need Bigger Pockets, you know what I do? I buy Bigger Pants. And you know what? They're far from the only guilty ones with less than a stellar name, like Doc G and Earn and Invest. That's really novel, Doc. What are we going to do? Not earn and not invest? Here's something we will do. Dole out some trivia. Hey, on this date in 1993, the Intel Corporation produced the first Pentium microprocessor computer chip. Intel co-founder Gordon Moore is also famous for a concept called Moore's Law. And that has guided technology buying decisions ever since he created it. So what is Moore's Law? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can process that question. Get it? Oh man, I can't be stopped some days. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to Uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals and collaborate with your partner. And now because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30 day free trial. When you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad free privacy. You can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey, 
Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, back, and I'm talking about podcasting names. This is kind of fun, isn't it? I mean, how about Choose-Fi? How do I even, how do you say that? Is it Choose, like, Fee, or Choose-Fi, Choose-Fi, maybe? All I can think about when I hear this is Fee-Fi-Fo-Fum. Choose-Fum? That's a name. There's a name right there. Choose-Fum. How about, probably means the same thing. How about calling it Choose Rich? It's pretty obvious. Everybody knows what you'd be talking about. We're all here to try to get, I mean, people need marketing help. And then you got How I Built This. Hey, guy, this is about how other people built their businesses. Uh, Wouldn't it be called How They Built This? Seriously, give me a call. I can help you people. I don't know. Maybe I should lay off the coffee and... Before I rail on our friends too much, let's fire up today's trivia. The question was, Moore's Law has been responsible for a lot of tech buying decisions over the years. Well, what is it? Moore's Law refers to Moore's perception that the number of transistors on a microchip doubles every two years, though the cost of computers is halved. More simply, Moore's Law states that we can expect the speed and capability of our computers to increase every couple of years and we'll pay less for them. Now there's a trivia bomb for you. Kaboom! It's time for me to go have some fun with some more podcast names. See ya! Yeah, like, how about budgets and brews? Not a great idea. Been trying it for years. Hasn't worked out for me. Or or, how about how-to money? Is that even a full sentence? Learn your English. Usually we reserve the surly for you, man. Doug's got a case of the surly today. Holy moly. Doug's got it. Yeah. And speaking of defending your throne, big thanks to Scott and Mindy. I love OG how they talk about outlining what your goal is and your exit strategy, even with your house that you ostensibly are going to own yourself, right? Think about the conditions by which you would sell. Think about the value proposition to you and your family, even with your own home. I think that's great advice. Did you just say have a sales strategy? Yes. Like a walkway number or whatever? Have a, have a, just a sell strategy. Either, either you will uh, rent it when you're done, right? You're going to renovate it and upgrade it. You're going to, uh, he's got like three different, three different sales strategies. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a really, really important thing. We have a couple of rentals and have been approached a number of times on like, would we be interested in selling them? And I think it's great that I don't have to make that decision every time. It's like I would, and here's the number that I, that I'd take. That's your walkaway number. Yep. 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 Here's my number. And then they go, but I was thinking maybe a big lower number. I'm like, cool. Sorry. Well, and this is where I think we differ from a lot of other people. And Scott and Mindy showed this today that even with your own home, you know, a lot of people say, and I think people have had this drilled into them to some degree, don't count your home as an investment, right? You've got your investment properties on one side and you got your home but I agree with what you're saying and what Scott and Mindy say, you should still make a good investment decision. There should still be, there should still be an investment decision because there's real money on the line for a lot of people that aren't going to own real estate like you do. Buying the home might be the biggest purchase they ever make. Yeah. Thinking about it from the perspective of, of, of an investment. I mean, if you were looking at buying an, uh, let's say you bought a stock or a mutual fund or something like that, and the market went up 10% this year, but your stock went up 100% this year. Doesn't it make sense to have some sort of strategy to rebalance that or capitalize that profit or whatever the case may be? I mean, if you're looking at a regular investment asset class and it does something different than what's expected, then you rebalance into it, right? You say, oh, small companies have done really well in the last six months. That must mean I'm overweight in small cap. Therefore, I've got to sell a little bit of this, buy a little bit of that, kind of keep it always even. And the same thing can happen in real estate. It doesn't, you know, you don't see it as quickly. You don't see it as like day to day, but never walk away from money. <laughs> you know, don't, don't be allergic to money. So if you buy a place for a hundred thousand and some guy says, I'll buy it off you for 400, take the money. You know, like if it's been like a year and a half, like whatever happened, happened, but that wouldn't happen in real life. You know, that's not a real normal return over an extended period of time. So having that kind of already predetermined, I think, uh, gives you the, uh, gives you the out and it also gives you the opportunity to not have to play that what if game yeah agreed i bought gamestop at 40 and now it's worth 150 
but it might go to 4,000. It's like, dude, it's, no, it's 150. 300% since you bought it. 400% since you sell it. And that's not just seven happy. people on that cruise ship either. Yeah. And by the way, all when you know, there's a lot of people that are going to jump off that cruise ship, the GameStop cruise ship. Maybe not a good Sorry. analogy. Yeah. I also want to redraw attention to when Mindy said she wanted to have a chapter in the book called, Should I Have a Home Inspection? And she wanted it to be one word. Yes. But the other people aren't having home inspection. Can you ever think of a time when not getting a home inspection worked in your favor? Uh, I saved $300. Yeah. And you missed the fact that the uh, foundation was cracked. Right. Not good. Hey, let's throw out Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, Matt and the gang over there, they put what you value first. Finding great real estate deals. I'm Bam. working on one right now. As a matter of fact, I'm super excited. Fantastic. And that right there is why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. You don't want to spend a lot of time here. Spend your time making money. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. If you pause and you go there now, stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life, you'll see the application simple. It's online. You're going to get an instant coverage decision. Of course, they're backed by a company that's been around for a long time, Mass Mutual, over 160 years old. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our friend, Seth. Say hi, Seth. Hey, Joe and OG. My name is Seth. I'm 31 years old. I make about $125,000 per year. I'm currently saving 18% for retirement between myself and my company match in a Roth 401k. I have six months of expenses in a liquid savings account. And on top of that, I'm able to save about $2,000 per month. Six months ago, I put 20% down on a home. And my big question for you today is, should I focus that additional $2,000 per month on paying off the mortgage or should I look at uh, funding additional investment opportunities? Um, I should reference as well, the house mortgage is about a 3.3% interest rate, so it's really low, uh, but I'm intrigued by the idea of saving about $100,000 in interest and having a paid for home much quicker. Would love your thoughts. Thanks. Oh, Seth, kick-ass job, man. How about that? Seth's got his stuff together. Six-month emergency fund, saving 18% into retirement plans, still can save $2,000 a month. You know, and, and this is funny because there's some people out there, they're going to roll their eyes. They're going to say, but Seth makes $125,000 a year. You and I, OG, know plenty of people that make $125,000 a year are not saving a dime. Not Doesn't a, even come close to it. Yes. Yeah. So his, his name rhymes with schmug. <laughs> well, he's making $125 a year, but uh, well, yes. In gift card, but so it's a, kind of a weird way to save. Might be a little different story. This this idea, he's got this really low interest rate on his mortgage, OG, $2,000 a month. Yeah, I don't think that this has to be an either or. When it comes to seeing successful people as they get closer to financial independence, there's not an overwhelming amount of them that go into it with high mortgage debt. I would say almost everybody that I know that is financially independent is doing so with very low mortgage debt. Now, maybe you've got your investment properties that are a little bit different, but your primary house is taken care of. And I understand the math. I get it. I've been doing this a long time, so I can do the math on it in the interest rate versus saving and investing arbitrage, blah, 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 blah. But I've also never seen anybody save up for 15 years and then make the $280,000 house payment because their brokerage account is now, you know, the payoff amount or something. So if you want it to be paid off, then pay it off. If you want it to be, uh, if you want to have a big, large investment account, then save and invest the money instead. If you don't know which one you want to do, then split the difference. I think the important thing is to have a decision that you stick with for a period of time, whether it's a year or two years or three years or five years or something, and say, okay, every dollar that I make above X that I'm able to save, I want to allocate it in this in this ratio. I want to put 40% of it on my debt. I want to put 40% of it in my brokerage account. I want to put 20% into a fund money account so I can do whatever the hell I want. Because the thing is, is that right now, he's got an extra $2,000 a month. Well, in 
six months from now, he might get a bonus. Or in two years from now, he might get a promotion. And now he's got $4,000 a month. And are we going to be thinking about this same question 50 million times between now and 10, 15 years from now? And what ends up happening is that you end up making a decision based on how you feel that moment. Is the market's doing really great and everything's awesome and your 401k is rocking. You're like, I should get a little bit more of that. You're going to put your $2,000 a month into your brokerage account. If you're feeling kind of down in the dumps, maybe, or the market's taking a crap, or you're like, I kind of kind of want to move, or I hate my job now, and Ugh, it'd be great if I just had didn't have a house payment, then you'll put it on the house. So instead of just having that decision every single year, or every time you get a bonus, or every time you get a pay raise, just make it one time and live with it for the next three to five years. Allocate it in percentages and just be done with it. I'm with him. I think that the power of not having a house payment, the cash flow that it changes, and the, you know, I mean, sheer interest amount that you get rid of is pretty awesome. So I'd allocate quite a bit of it to the uh, to the house. That's what I would do. Yeah, that's that I think is the issue is that we don't know the rest of Seth's goals. We don't know what else is on the table and not knowing the urgency uh, because he didn't say what they were. I'm assuming that it isn't something super hot and right now. The issue though, OG, with putting money into the house, of course, is then that money isn't available for any goals without without going in and taking out another loan. Yep. So I think he's got to keep that in mind. I mean, another strategy that OG touched on, but that um, works for some people, but it works it works really for great savers, Seth, like you, but not for everybody. So again, this starts with know yourself is instead put that money monthly into an index fund that's meant to pay the house off and uh, over every long period of time out there, uh, if you look 15 years or more, you would have beaten that interest rate that you have on your money. I can't think of a 15-year time frame where you did not beat that interest rate. So having that money available and ready for other goals, for a lot of people out there, to OG's point, pretty dangerous. And I totally agree that wealthy people, when you see people, wealthy people at work, while they know leverage, which is what I'm kind of talking about, even more than that, they've got a healthy respect for debt and for the value of not owing anybody anything. That flexibility, OG, when he gets done, you know, I'm talking about flexibility now, but to your point, he gets that done. He's buying himself so much flexibility down the road. It's fantastic. Well, think of it this way. I mean, if you're just looking at the whole financial dependence, 4% rule, da 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 da, and let's say that your house is 2000 your house payment is $2,000 a month. That's $24,000 a year. Well, let's say 20,000 a year to make OG's math easy. You know, that, that means you have to have half a million dollars in your investment account allocated to paying off your house. And I know somebody's going to write in and go, well, but actually it's a declining amount, so it's less than that. I understand all of that, but I'm saying like, that number, when you're, when you, you know, if you're trying to reach financial independence and you have a mortgage that has 20 years left on it, you need financial independence plus 400 grand or 350 or whatever the freaking number is. So it's just not owing anybody money, any money and having no banking issues is so unbelievably freeing. It's, it, I can't even explain it to anybody. I mean, so few people that I know of have literally no debt. And so few people that you probably, anybody knows, have no, 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 no debt. If you know of somebody, just ask them to say, hey, you know, don't you wish you had a mortgage? (laughs) Every one of them is going to say, no, I'm so happy I don't. What's a mortgage? I haven't dealt with the bank in forever. You know, so cut those people out of your life and. And you'll be happier. I think so. Thanks for the question, Seth, and uh, congratulations on uh, being such a great saver. We don't see that often enough, and uh, Gertrude is going to uh, send you a code for some sweet Haven Life, greatest money show on earth, Stacking Benjamin swag. That's going to do it for today. Hey, big thanks to everybody for hanging out with us. I know your time's valuable and uh, man, a ton of fun. Uh, Doug's going to thank Scott and Mindy, but I'd like to do that as well. Big thanks to them. And if you're someone that needs more financial help in your corner and you really don't know where to turn, you don't have good people in your corner. OG and his team are taking new clients. So 
Here's how you get to their calendar to see how they can interface with you to help you make better financial decisions in 2021. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash OG. That's going to do it for today. Doug, you got it from your man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, I'll tell you what they should have learned. First, take a lesson from our headline. We don't know what the market is going to do. The best approach is to stick with your plan and consistently invest. Second, take a lesson from Scott and Mindy. Buying a house, there are lots of things to think about before looking for a realtor or a property. But the big lesson? Who am I kidding? I'm sitting here ripping on podcast names. I work for Stacking Benjamins. Do you know how much money we're leaving on the table? Like, what about stacking yen or stacking euros? There's all kinds of money we should be stacking, boys. Stacking loonies. That's a good one. Canada, right? Am I right? What about Vietnam? How about stacking dong? Oh, I'm not touching that one. Maybe Britain. Stacking quid? Maybe not. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks to Scott Trench and Mindy Jensen for stopping by. You can learn more from Scott and Mindy from the Bigger Pockets podcast or check out their new book, First Time Homebuyer, wherever books are sold. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rudder Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I do not like computer jokes, not one bit. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. And uh, sometimes uh, English is, is a, uh, English gets away from me. OG. Sometimes. Hey guys, I love your show. But Joe, you have to look up the word colloquial. It doesn't mean what you think it does. A <laughs> uh, good example of colloquial is ain't. I think you mean uh, anecdotal when you say that sometimes. But anyway, keep stacking. Love you. Bye. Well, as I colloquially look at his uh, feedback there. Um, can you repeat the part of this stuff where you said all about the things? <laughs> uh, that's so great. That is so fantastic. Thank you. I love just keep, keep me on the, you know what? And as an English major, uh, he didn't leave his name, but as an English major, when you hear that stuff, it drives you crazy. It just drives you crazy. I remember one of my favorite podcasts, the dude had a huge verbal tick and we have ours to your point. And every time I'd hear the verbal tick, I just couldn't unhear it then. Sometimes what you get is what you get. We also had some more people. Uh, for those of you new to the show, we had some more people tell their uh, tenuous brush with fame stories this story comes to us uh, from uh, Brett. Alrighty, Joe and OG, for the Tenuous Brush with Fame contest, in my college years, I was waiting tables in Dallas, Texas, and lo and behold, I was able to serve fajitas to Rob Lowe and Winona Ryder. And I got my picture with them. 
But that was also back in the day when I was the waiter for Lulu Roman from Hee Haw. Now, in Alaska, the Secret Service did want to use the table that we were eating at because it was the best vantage point to seat former President Carter. So I got my picture with him. But my favorite of all time was flying back to Oklahoma. I'm waiting in the Dallas airport, and people were asking for the autograph of the girl sitting next to me. So when they stopped asking her, I finally asked her, I said, why do they want your autograph? And she said, because I'm Carrie Underwood. And I said, well, what do you do, Carrie Underwood? (laughs) And she said, I want American Idol, to which I had not seen American Idol, nor did I listen to music. I'm more of a spoken word type guy. That's why I love your show. (laughs) So uh, American Idol, what would that be? What's what's that all about? Never heard of it. Yeah, not ah, seems nice to me though, Carrie. That's that's great. Amanda also wrote in and said, "When I was young, my family used my great aunt's cabin for vacations. Awesome, she loved big groups. So often we were there with three or four other groups. When I was six, my cousin who was sixteen at the time brought his good friend Josh. Josh, how do you pronounce his last name? I see it all the time. Duhamel. Dumel. Dumel. Josh Dumel." Yes, Josh Dumel. It's it's funny because I watched the what was the casino show Las Vegas was that was mm-hmm. it called Vegas or something Yeah, watch that all the time. Josh Dumel. Uh, we spent a few days together over Fourth of July together. I'm sure my pink frilly bikini made a great impression. Well, I didn't remember this, but was reminded of it a few years ago. My grandmother passed away. I was flying back to North Dakota for the funeral. The state fair was starting, and good old Josh was flying back on the same flight since he was the grand marshal of the parade. Of course, I recognized him now, but I didn't try to talk to him. The flights into our small hometown are quite small and require carry-on luggage to be gate-checked with a pink bag or pink tag to be picked up in the jetway on arrival. When I got off the flight, Josh was looking around and asked me, the first person he saw, where the pink tag bags were. I, being the awesome person I am, said, see that sign over there that says pink tag bags can be picked up here? That'd be right there. I'm a huge jerk but I did get a small chuckle from a minor star. Would you have introduced yourself? Would you have said, oh, Josh, you don't remember me, but we go way back. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Although I do think it's funny to go, yeah, Captain Obvious. It's uh, right over there. (laughs) Sounds like something I would say. (laughs) Hey, Josh, and your show is okay. Show's all right. Pretty terrible, actually. Uh, I liked it. He was in Transformers or something, too. Yes. Yeah. I liked him in that, too. He's kind of like the up-and-coming action guy. And then uh, just... And then wasn't. Faded away. I don't know that he's faded away as much as... You just see him and you're like, oh, that's Josh. Josh, whose name I can't pronounce. That's exactly right. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning. Because it is... Military Appreciation Month, and I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.